Hey everybody, before we get started, before that music starts playing for this installment of the Sex and Marriage series, I'd like you to think about emailing me, very underscore Lutheran at tutanota.com with any questions, concerns, objections, or comments you would like to make. I'd like to record a very special episode of Sex and Marriage where I answer all of these in real time. And we might very well live stream it so we can get some in-the-moment answers right then and there. Please, send me an email or a message or something like that, very underscore Lutheran at tutanota.com. We would love to hear from you. But that said, let's get into some matters of Christian freedom so we can avoid being in either the fertility or the infertility cults. Hear the word of our Lord from Psalm 127, beginning in the third verse. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. We've been talking for a little bit on the topic of children. We covered the fertility cult last week and before then the infertility cult. As a quick refresher, the infertility cult is our oversexed society that separates sex from fertility by claiming that, well, it's all about pleasure and it's all about you and it's your goals and it's your dreams and children are a massive, horrible impediment to that so maybe you should put off having kids, or not have kids at all. Or if a baby happens, punish that baby by aborting that baby. It really is disgusting how the infertility cult works, and we are living in the days of its general triumph over the culture. But we're also seeing a slow but steady return of the old fertility cults, of which the church has had massive problems. The fertility cults, like the infertility cults, well, they separate sex and fecundity. They separate the marital coital act with fertility itself. And they separate pleasure from the human experience altogether, believing sex to be a necessary evil to get back into the business of making more babies. Yes, the fertility cult is just as bad and will cause just as many problems as the infertility cult. What do we say in response to these two? Because as you can tell, I dislike and condemn both of them. I could just say, well, we need to hold to a biblical model of marriage and family and sex and go from there. But there's a problem. There are misled people calling themselves Christians on both sides of the aisle in terms of fertility and infertility cult that would say, oh, we're doing that. 
Oh yes, the pink-haired priestess wearing vestments that don't belong to her. She's just playing dress-up. She's going to get up there behind her uh, snazzy rainbow pulpit, look at me, and say, uh, excuse me. I just delivered a sermon on Sunday about how Jesus said love one another, love always wins, so if you want to do anal fisting in the pews, that's okay, because love wins. That's biblical. And then the uh, fertility cult people are going to be like, you disgusting, filthy coomer. Don't you understand that the Bible condemns the flesh? And if you walk by the flesh, you're not saved. And Jesus says the flesh profits nothing. Look at me. I haven't spoken to my wife in 43 years after we were done with child number eight. And that's how it should be because that's godliness. Both of them are going to claim that this is biblical. Both of them are going to be very, very wrong. But if I say the third way, beyond the infertility cult, beyond the fertility cult, I say the third way is just holding to what the Bible says, they are going to say we're already biblical. And I can bring up hundreds or thousands of verses. I could create an entire dogmatics textbook regarding marriage and family and sex to demonstrate what I'm saying they will say, that's very nice, but that's not biblical. That's not what we're saying, so it can't possibly be true. Well, okay, fine. Let's give a label to my position, to what I believe is the proper Lutheran and therefore biblical position on marriage, family, and sex, if you are going to put a label on it. Ready? God, marriage, family. That's it. That is your priority list. God, marriage, family. In your life, we honor God first. We worship him first. He is our number one priority. I am a sinner in need of a savior. I am a sinner who has been blessed by God's grace with faith in our Lord Jesus Christ who died for my sins. I am going to therefore live for him. Galatians 3 verse 27 says, All who have been baptized into Christ have put on the Lord Christ, and Jesus says, Abide in me. Because he lives again, he was risen from the dead, I live in him. His life is my life now. Since the moment of my baptism, he is priority numero uno. But then as a married man, Ephesians chapter 5 tells me to love my wife as Christ loves the church. And Jesus loves the church, dies for the church, provides for the church. He exercises authority over the church for the sake of the church in all things, rescues the church, provides for the church, and blesses the church. No other human being may receive the same kind of priority from me but my wife, just her. Which means God is my number one priority in my life. My spouse is my number two priority. Likewise, as a wife must submit to her husband as the church submits to Christ, that means that a husband has to be the center of his wife's world, just in the same way as Christ is the center of our world. So we have priority number two. 
That's my second priority. I am a Christian first and a husband second, and then I am a father. Now, this is going to scandalize a few people. Maybe you have heard, once you have kids, you have to put your kids first in absolutely everything. Your kids are your life now. That's the fertility cult speaking because they see reproduction as the sole reason for existence. And they don't see you as a person. Ignore them when they say that. Your children are important. They are a very large priority. Fathers and mothers must be good to their children, provide for them, educate them, raise them up in the faith, and provide the kind of love that a child needs. These are non-negotiable. Absolutely. But you, if you end up being a parent, and if you are already a parent, you know what I'm talking about, you're going to come up to these situations where you have to choose, am I going to do something for my kid right now? I mean, they're fed. They have clothes on. It's Saturday morning. We could go out as a family and help them play around, toss the pigskin, do the good dad thing. Or I could have a nice calm breakfast with my wife, get her some coffee. We'll get some uh, croissants or something like that. And we'll just have a calm morning and let the kids do whatever in the living room. I'll let them watch TV for a bit. There are people that say, well, your children come first in absolutely everything. Therefore, you'd better go to the park and toss that pigskin. My answer is no. Have breakfast with your wife. That first. You can go to the park later. It's Saturday. But your wife needs to come first. Your husband needs to come first here. Have a nice morning with them. We all have busy lives, especially after we get married, and especially, especially after we have kids, right? But folding the kids' laundry can wait for you to smooch your husband. Prepping the kids' lunch can wait to give that spouse a hug. Coming home with fast food because you want to go roll in the hay with your wife and so you're like, hey, honey, don't worry about dinner. I got it. I'm going to get the kids McDonald's and then we'll be in the bedroom for about 15 minutes there. That's okay. You don't have to be a perfect parent. One day those kids are going to grow up and hopefully they will be mature and established enough to move out of the house and make their own life, right? If you focus with your kids as the number one priority in your life for those 18 to 20 years that they are in your household, your spouse will be a stranger to you and you will have to get to know one another the moment that kid moves out. And your marriage might not survive if that's the case. Now still, God must be the number one priority. And not just in an individual devotional sense. Homework can wait. Read the Bible with your kids. If they're late for sports ball practice, that's okay. Pray with your kids. Pray with your wife. Oh, the food is ready before dinner and everybody wants you to say just rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. But God expects you to be truly thankful and to truly express your gratitude toward him. Dinner can wait. God first. 
then marriage, then family. You and your spouse then use your Christian freedom to faithfully follow this priority list. I want my boy catechized. I want to confirm him in the faith. What do I do? Well, it's got to be on my schedule because I got work to do, sure. But let's put him at family chapel time around 7 in the evening. We'll have time for it. After that, he can do some homework. Great. And you know, that boy doesn't really read that detailed. So we'll practice some reading so he gets a little bit smarter and we'll read some Bible, but we'll go back into singing and praying together and memorizing it. Okay, I used my Christian freedom to fulfill my responsibility. I had the freedom to fulfill that as needed. The gynecologist says, all right, she's pregnant, and at this point right now, there's a no-go on having sex right now. Okay, well, you know what? Her feet are really sore. Honey, how about this? You can take care of me, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and I'll be rubbing your feet. I'll help you out. I'll make dinner tonight, and we'll hook each other up. How about that? That way we're still doing our best to be one in marriage, and frequently, as St. Paul says, but we got to employ a little bit of creativity here to make that happen. All right, good. These are just a couple examples that we can put forth, right? You have Christian freedom. You have the right as a member of Christ's body on earth to make meaningful decisions, to make real choices. God does give us these priorities to follow. Him first, his ways first, follow the Ten Commandments. Yes, go to him in devotion and prayer and bring your whole family with you because you, dear husband and father, are the priest of your family. This is most certainly true. But you have a lot of leeway as to how you get that done. Freedom is not just freedom to follow a long prescribed list of rules. We're not theonomist control freaks here. There's no happiness, joy, nor, I mean, hardly any Christianity there. But I digress before the uh, Rush Dooney crowd comes at me again. With these priorities, your marriage, your family, is subject to the word of God alone. The church cannot tell you to have a fast from sex. That's you and your wife's prerogative to do that by mutual consent for a limited time, as St. Paul says. The culture around you does not have the authority to tell you, hey, raise your kids before doing anything else. Now, you can enlist some help from the church. The church is here to give you good advice. Lord knows you wouldn't be listening to 22 installments of my Sex and Marriage series if there wasn't some good advice there. But I'm not in charge of you. The Bible gives you a lot of freedom, as Galatians says, For freedom Christ has set you free. Do not give that up to a bunch of other people. Maybe we have some wisdom to give you to help out in that marriage by all means. That's great. But you submit to God 
alone in these matters. Let him set the rules for your marriage, not some church tradition, not some common folk wisdom or anything like that. Let those be little helpers rather than authority figures over you. Now, I understand this is going to be hardest for women. Guys will say, oh, that's right, I'm top dog of my family. <laughs> sure, I hope he understands the responsibility he has in that context. But for a woman, a wife and a mother, I understand that you have a lot of voices telling you what to do. It was about six years ago that my wife was reading a lot of mommy blogs. She wanted to enlist some help and get some good advice for us new parents. Some techniques for raising the kid. How does this boy do sleep training? What are some things I can do? At first, we had a lot of benefit from that. The sleep training strategy that I brought up, that was fantastic. We had our firstborn sleeping through the night at six months old. It was fantastic being able to get back to sleep that easy. Uh, we learned some great dietary stuff, how to help this boy grow to be as big and strong as he can be without risking some health stuff. You know, there are a lot of pitfalls with children's nutrition. All right, awesome. At first, the mommy bloggers were very helpful in that way. Then it stopped being helpful. They started to say things like, you are not a good mother unless you are using exactly the kind of car seat that I say you should have. You are a terrible parent if you are not using cloth diapers. Oh my goodness, you need to use cloth diapers or else you're going to give your child cancer down the line. Don't you know what kind of chemicals they put in those disposable diapers? Oh my goodness, how dare you formula feed your child? I can't believe you. Formula feeding? Why didn't you just give the child up for adoption, you rotten sack of crap? Oh yeah, the mommy block started going that direction, especially on social media, when all these women, especially one named Robin, might be familiar to some of you, decided that they were now the popes of what it meant to be a mother. And they would say things that were mutually contradictory. Of course, the Asian tiger mother strategy for raising children is in direct opposition to helicopter parenting versus free-range parenting versus everything. And my wife, as she was researching this stuff, was so racked with guilt because these mutually exclusive, contradictory methods of parenting were all telling her that she was just the worst human being alive for things that she couldn't possibly satisfy. There was no pleasing these people, and they all hate you. Eventually, I just had to tell her, you need to quit reading these mommy blogs. You need to unfollow these people on Twitter. What are you doing? We have a kid. It's our kid. It's not their kid. We can read up on good things to do for our child. We want the best for him, but my goodness, they're not the parent here. We are. And we have Christian freedom to fulfill our responsibilities as necessary for this boy. Now, God grant us grace here. Lord knows every parent's going to make mistakes. And we're open to correction. 
But she had to stop because there was so much pressure. This happens to women far more than men, and they ruminate on it, causing an even bigger pressure feedback loop. And you gotta cut that Gordian knot and say, hey, this is our marriage. These are our children, not theirs. Don't listen to what Sheila Gregoire wants. She's gonna tell you to declare war on your husband. Don't listen to what all these mommy bloggers are saying if they want you to raise a kid that can't walk outside for five minutes without you staring at them. <laughs> you know, stalk your children. This is the helicopter parenting method. People get so ridiculous about this, and women internalize that pressure a lot more than men do. Which is why, by the way, a lot of evangelical churches just yell at guys constantly. Because they say, well, women already have that, men don't. So we don't confront women's sins, but men are just going to be oblivious to all of it. So we should just scream and yell and jump up and down and say, how dare you, as uh, Mr. Mark Driscoll did. But ultimately, if you do not want to fall into the infertility cult's temptations or the traps of the fertility cult, you need to be able to tell these voices to just shut the hell up. It's not their marriage. These aren't their children. You are responsible for it. They are not. Is the lady that wrote the Tiger Mother books responsible for your daughter if you give your daughter emotional issues on account of the Tiger Mother strategy? No, not one bit. And if you went to her and said, I followed your book because you said I'm an awful person and a terrible parent if I don't do this angry, domineering, unloving way of doing it, my kids are going to be failures. Well, now my kid's cutting herself. This is your fault. She's going to go, uh-uh. No, uh No. It's not my kid. <laughs> These people put responsibility on you and then they don't take responsibility for their advice. They don't care. Take the same viewpoint with what they say. Take everything they say with a grain of salt, and if it's useful, incorporate it. But you, again, are the only one responsible for your marriage and family in the eyes of God. People will say, well, it takes a village. This can't just be the father and the mother, and we'll get to that. Yes, you're kind of right there. But the freedom that you have as a Christian... The blessings that you have from your spouse and your children and the responsibilities that you have in those dynamics are all something God gives to you, not to other people. Rejoice in that and be a bit more independent, please. If some crabby divorcee walks up to a wife and says, Don't open your legs unless he earns your love don't submit to that man until he's proved his worth to you don't listen to him who the hell is that person who do they think they are to tell your wife that or to tell your husband something like that it's stupid but this is not me saying your business is your business and everybody should butt out forever there is such a thing as a christian responsibility to call out sin, and to urge people to repentance if they are engaged in it. I'm not saying your family, your marriage, exists on this island and you should ignore all voices that tell you maybe what you're doing is bad. 
But the difference between listening to someone when they confront you and ignoring them is if what they say is on scriptural warrant. If they can cite chapter and verse that says, hey brother, you've been way too harsh with your wife. You have been way too strict with her. I've seen you yelling at her in the parking lot. You need to quit that. You're supposed to love her as Christ loves the church and Christ loves us with a kind of gentle love that doesn't scream and shout and yell. And you better not be hitting her. Somebody who confronts you and says that to you, dear husband, he's correct. 100% correct. You need to listen to that because you mistreating your wife is an actual sin. If a nice old lady from church goes up to a wife and says, Listen, I saw you nagging him. Why, why, do, you, why do you treat your husband that way? He, everything you have in that house is on account of his blood, sweat, and tears that he has been providing for you. And you're not going to respect this man? What, because he forgot a date or something like that? No, you're supposed to submit to your husband and honor that man. That's godly. Yes, that woman is 100% correct. If people see you mistreating your children or messing up, or if you are neglecting your children, they notice that and they call you out. Those are actual sins that we should repent of. And it is good to listen to those voices. But when it comes to matters of Christian freedom between you and your wife, between a father and a mother and their children, these people can butt out. They can give you advice, but they are not to be making these grand moral statements about how unless you have your child enrolled in Juilliard, they will not make anything of themselves and you would be an abusive parent. Oh, you are paying for your kid to go to community college instead of a four-year school? Oh my gosh, how wicked, how evil. Don't you want to let them live their lives? Blah, 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 blah. Well, it's very nice that those people felt like it was their purview, their prerogative to instruct you in the ways of parenting. You can put that in your mental Rolodex and then go about your merry way. That's what I'm talking about here. God, marriage, family, that order of priority, and we listen to people if they say we're sinning, if they have a biblical warrant for saying that. Not capital T tradition, not logic, not their philosophy. If they can point to a verse that says, I'm sinning, or, hey, this is what I should be doing so that I will not be sinning, okay, I'll listen to that. But I'm not going to listen to them if they say, oh my gosh, that's a three-point car seat, not a five-point one. You might as well just crash the car into a bridge and kill your whole family because that's basically what you're doing to your child. Ignore that. Have Christian freedom and Christian responsibility that God gives you, not these people. And I know this is probably two rants in a row, but it's important to say that because... They're not going to listen to me if I just say we need to do marriage the biblical way. <laughs> Even though that's what I'm getting at. God, marriage, family. Let's call that the priority list. I look forward to hopefully answering some questions of y'all's next week. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.